Well, good morning, church. Wow, look at you. We are almost full. Oh, my goodness. You know, when we introduce and welcome our guests who are here with us this morning, I turn around and uh, look at all of you, and it was so exciting, uh, so heartwarming to see so many of you turning around and just trying to figure out and see where our guests are seated and just trying to get a glimpse of our guests. I mean, can you imagine a church when we welcome guests, everybody just look down? Who cares? <laughs> you know, this is church. Why do we care? Because we have a God who cares for us. A God, you know, who loves people. The church is all about people. The cross is all about people. Jesus died on the cross for you and I. And that's why we sing songs that are celebrative. We make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And some of you who are visiting with us, maybe you come from a different church background. Some of you have never stepped into a church. Wow, you say this is like a, not like a church, you know, it's noisy, you know. We have varieties. The Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. But there are times where we meditate, that time we just sit before God silent, just to be still and to know that He is God. And you know what? Talking about variety, I think it's a good time for us just to be quiet. And maybe where we are seated, maybe we have come with a need, maybe we have left someone behind at home uh, or in another state just to come to church this morning or whatever it is. And you have someone who is sick or uh, someone who needs some attention, uh, maybe someone's in a crisis situation, or maybe you yourself, I think it's a great time just to pray to this God who loves us and cares for us. So will you guys kindly take this time just to pray, bring your knees before God, cast your cares upon Him. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence this morning. God, every prayer that's been uttered, every prayer, Lord, has gone up to you. God, we know you heard it all. Lord, we can all be praying at the same time and you hear us all at once and together. Lord, because you are God, unlike us with our limitations, Lord, caged in by time and space, you are not. You are everywhere, both and at the same time. You listen to every one of us as if, Lord, you are giving each and every individual a personal attention. And Lord, we know you heard our prayers. And so, God, we can trust you to answer our prayers accordingly in a way that seems best, Lord, for us and our interests that you would see fit. And God, sometimes the answer will be no, but yet, Lord, we trust you for it and believe that you're a good God. Sometimes it's a yes, and Lord, we rejoice, Lord, and give you praise. Lord, sometimes it's just a wait, and we pray you help us to be patient, not to rush you or run ahead of you, but just, Lord, oh God, to allow you, like a good, great shepherd, lead us by the hand. And God, lead us in paths of righteousness for your namesake. Lead us through the valleys and dark valleys of life. And Lord, lead us, Lord, O oh God, to green pastures, still waters, 
And Lord, because we know that you're a good, good God. That's what we sung just now. And Lord, we just pray, dear God, that you answer our prayers accordingly. We give you all the praise. For this time, dear God, as we turn to your word, God, even just by reading your word, Lord, you, dear Holy Spirit, oh God, you will take the reading of your word and, and make it alive in our hearts and our lives, dear God. Bless this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Good morning, church. Uh, recently, uh, my good friends, I got, uh, uh, I'm sure like you, all of you, you got uh, WhatsApp groups, friends, you know, uh, just amazing today, you got all kinds of, uh, we have technology, and because of technology, there are so many ways we connect one with another, uh, and sometimes this good, uh, some of our friends, every morning I receive, you know, WhatsApp group, you know, some people, every morning I'm going to say good morning to you, you know. And sometimes you want to reply and not reply because if you've got a few groups and got so many people, just to say good morning back, it takes so much time already, isn't it? So I used to tell some people, you know, if you ever write to me or say good morning to me, you know, I will probably say good morning to you once in every 10 days. Not that I don't appreciate your good morning, but can you imagine if every, I reply every good mornings, you know, it would be noon by the time I finish replying. But this friend of this group, uh, good friends uh, group uh, uh, of mine, four pastors with their spouses, me included, Monica, uh, one of them sent me a cartoon frame strip, you know, two or three frames. And the first frame shows a surgeon, all right, by the name of David. And he was about to operate on his patient, local anesthetic. And this surgeon said to himself, it's okay. In fact, he just said aloud, brother. Looking at the patient, he said, It's okay. It's okay, David. It's just a surgery. The next frame, the patient looked up at him and said, My name is not David. And the surgeon says, I know. I am David. Some of you are a bit slow, but you are worth waiting for. And I wrote back to my friends and says, Thank God we are not surgeons. All of us are pastors in the group. Thank God we are not surgeons. We are preachers. Can you imagine if I were operate on you this morning? <laughs> we are preachers and we bring the word of God to you. This morning I got a powerful message I want to share with you. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I'm going to attempt to read the entire chapter. Now if I dropped it halfway initials, please come and continue my sermon. It's all in writing here, and you just put in your own flavor, essence, and put some inspiration. It'll be a great sermon, okay? Now, it says here, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Always in that order, grace and peace to you. We can never ever experience the peace of God until the grace of God invades our lives. It is only by the grace of God and merited favor that we experience the peace of God. Grace always comes before peace. And so if you are here this morning and you have not experienced the peace of God, may you say to God, may your grace abound in my life. Just like Billy Graham who says, you can never have experienced the peace of God until you have made peace with God. 
grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father three things. He says, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4 says, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we live among you for your sake? It says you became imitators of us and the Lord. You know, in spite of your severe suffering, you welcome the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And the Lord's message ran out to you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This morning, I bring across to you a texture sermon. Sometimes in homiletics or the art of preaching, we are taught about the different kinds of sermons. There are narrative sermons, there are topical sermons. A topical sermon is when the preacher takes a topic, say for example, God or love or, or, or surrender. And then he will look at the scriptures in his whole and, and, and pick out scripture verses that would fit you know, the thought in regards to that particular topic. And so it's just a topical sermon. Sometimes an expository sermon, which I do quite a lot here in Agape, where I take an extended passage of Scripture, and from the Scripture, I give the background and, and allow you uh, to look into uh, the passage from the lens of a writer in regards to where he was writing, uh, time he was writing at, and to who he was writing, his recipient, and then begin to apply it in our own hearts and lives so that the Scripture is not just for then, and there, but for here and now. And this morning, I'm going to talk to you about a message in regards to, 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 the, to this title, Still Here and on Fire. Still Here and on Fire. And this is a texture sermon. A texture sermon is basically, we will preach and take one or two verses from a text of Scripture, and from the text itself, you know, um, it gives you the outline of his talk. And so here I have in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, a texture sermon. And from these two or three, two verses, we, we have three thoughts in regards to uh, how the Thessalonians lived their life. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God, the Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this church in Thessalonica uh, was founded by Paul in AD 50 during his second missionary journey. If you read the book of Acts, you will realize that Paul was that guy who persecuted the church. And then one day, he, he, he even uh, uh, endorsed the stoning of Stephen. And, and Stephen was like the first martyr you know, in Christendom. 
And then as he went on his way round, uh, down the Damascus road with letters of authority in his hand to continue to persecute more Christians, put them behind bars and probably even kill them. He was against the one way, against Jesus. Uh, he was steeped in Judaism. And on his way down the Damascus road to persecute Christians, you know, God encountered him or he encountered God. A great light shone that caused him to be blind. And then a voice from heaven arrested his attention and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then Saul looked at him and says, Who are you, Lord? He knew that there was a supernatural encounter because he addressed his voice as Lord. He didn't know who he was talking to, but he, he says, but God says, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, you know, whom you are persecuting. It is hard to kick, it's hard for yourself to kick your leg against the stone and not hurt yourself. How many of you know that we can never fight God? We will only hurt ourselves if we fight God. And with that, you know, his life was turned around and he began to preach the gospel. And so as he began to preach the gospel, he took a number of missionary journey, uh, journeys and he went around preaching the gospel, bringing the gospel to, to, to the regions beyond. His first missionary journey, his second missionary journey, there was a third missionary journey. But it was during his second missionary journey that he founded this church in Thessalonica. He spent... Probably just three weekends in that place. You will read the book of Acts chapter 17. Three weekends only in that place. He could have stayed longer, but he could not simply because of the uproar that he created. He went to the synagogue every Sabbath for three Sabbaths. He shared the gospel. He preached Christ. And the Bible says a number of Jews accepted Christ. And then, so a large number of Greek-speaking people turned to the Lord, and a large number of prominent women gave their hearts to Jesus. Now, this caused a stir in the synagogue, a stir in the city, and the die-hard Jews were not happy. And so they began to, 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 to have a crusade against Paul, uh, Silas and Timothy, who were staying in Jason's house at that point. And they engaged the local mafia, if you may, all right, the local mafia, uh, they paid people, they engaged people to, to persecute these three people, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And so they went to Jason's house trying to capture and trying to put uh, Paul behind bars, but they escaped. And when midnight came, when night fall, you know, uh, Jason and the rest, uh, who were arrested, you know, and then the, uh, uh, and the others who were not arrested, they, they sent Paul, Silas, and Timothy away to Berea. And that's where we read that the Christians at Berea, the Berean Christians were more noble, we read that in the Bible, than those in Thessalonica because they not only heard and received what Paul preached, but they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul preached is true or not. And there is a need for each one of us to know the Bible for ourselves. It's great to come to a church where there is good and strong preaching. But it's nothing like you yourself knowing the scripture so that you can check against the scripture to know if the preacher is saying something that you know, is in line with the Bible or he is going off tangent. And there's a need for us to read and understand the Bible for ourselves. Someone say a loud and big amen to that. Amen. Certainly. And we need to do just that. And it was in Berea 
you know, that Paul began to plant a church, and then from there, you know, he moved on uh, to Athens, and seemingly he went there alone. And not too long after that, you know, Timothy came to join him in Athens, only to be sent back to Thessalonica to find out how the Christians are doing. Paul is an amazing guy. He not just plant a church, you know, but he always follow up with the new believers. Paul could have stayed in Thessalonica longer except that, you know, there was a great persecution. Even after he left, the persecution continued. And that's why we read in 1 Thessalonians that day, despite the persecution, a severe, the Bible says, severe persecution that they went through, the Christians at Thessalonica were full on for God. The wonder Paul says, every time I write, every time I pray for you, you know, Paul prayed you know, for those who came to know Christ through his ministry. Every time I pray for you, I remember just three things. He says, your work, your labor, and your endurance. And these are three things I'm going to talk to you about this morning. One is, he says, is your work that's produced by faith. Your work that's produced by faith. What is faith? If you were to ask for a definition, what is faith? Well, we can quote uh, Hebrews chapter 1. You know, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You see things that are there that are not there just yet. All right? Uh, that's one definition of faith. But what is really faith? What does it mean that there is uh, your work is produced by faith? Now, faith can mean two things. One, it could be your, your, your relationship with God, your, your belief system, and what you believe in. And so if we are Christians, all right, then we belong to Christ. We belong to this religion called Christianity, which is more than a religion. It's a personal relationship with God. We believe in the Bible as the inspired word of God, God-bred, God-given, and it's profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, and instruction in righteousness. You know, we believe in this book. And we believe, you know, this is our value system. So everything that we do, our, our, our outlook in life, our philosophy of life, our, uh, our value system has to do with our faith. Why we do what we do and choose not to do what we do not want to do or should not do is because of our faith in God. And so when it says your, 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 your work that is produced by faith, it simply means that by the very fact that we are Christians and have this faith in Christ Jesus, he said, that faith alone pushes us and causes us to do something in life. So we don't sit still. Uh, we, we, we are not spectators. We engage with the God, the things of God, the work of God. No, that is the very faith that we have. So even though we are not saved by good works, but we are saved to do good works. So, good works is not a, 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 a condition for salvation or forgiveness, but good works is a consequence of forgiveness. Having been forgiven, we don't do good works to gain heaven because our good is never good enough. But having accepted Christ and having been forgiven, His grace comes into our life. His peace comes into our life. And having experienced God, you know, we now want to do something good with our lives. Something good for humanity. We want to pay forward the good things God has blessed us with. All right? And this is the faith that propels us to do good works. 
So it's the works that is produced by faith. Now, faith can also mean our convictions, right? Our conviction, what we actually really believe in. Our convictions has to do with our confidence, not just conviction, our confidence and our trust in God. All right, it is a conviction, but it's also a confidence and trust in God. Simply meaning, have faith in God. Trust God, you know, not in yourself. Challenges are there, but it's our faith, our trust in God. And it says, this work is produced by faith. You see, everything that we do, especially for God, I mean, God places a burden in our hearts to do something, is always by faith. I think you have actually remembered uh, this name, Dr. Peggy Wong. I've mentioned her a number of times. One of these days, I'm going to invite her to come and just be with us. An amazing businesswoman. Uh, she reminded me recently in our WhatsApp chat that uh, she met me or we met uh, some years ago. How I don't know how long ago, maybe a decade ago. Uh, it was a lunch, you know, in a, in, in a restaurant. Uh, the uh, uh, pastor... Uh, who is the name, the SIB pastor, Dr. Chiu was there, Daniel Ho was there, the UMC pastor, and we had a lunch together, and it was there that she began to cast a vision. She called some pastors to come together and says, I need help. All I know is that I'm a young Christian, I'm a businesswoman, I'm not a medical doctor, don't have the title doctor, but God has called me to do something because she was told that they are hardcore poor in the city of Kuala Lumpur. Children who go to school hungry without breakfast. All right? And she says there are children like that. And she says, cannot be. She says, there's no way. She says, how can someone living in the city of Kuala Lumpur is so poor that when they, the children cannot afford breakfast and they go with empty stomach to school. She says, cannot be. Until, you know, she visited the school and she realized, you know, that there were a lot of hardcore poor students, uh, hard, uh, a, poor, uh, a lot of students that are from hardcore poor family that goes to school without any breakfast. And then God laid a burden in her heart to do something about it, you know, and she caught passes together, she had a lunch together, she's a businesswoman, she paid for the lunch, and she said, all I know is God called me to do this. And she shared about me, I need your prayers, I need your guidance, I need your direction, I, I, I don't even know how to preach the gospel, I'm a young Christian, I'm so new to the church, but her pastor, Dr. Chiu, was very supportive of her. He was there and let her share her story. And you know what? Today, she has got this ministry called One Egg, One Child so that she works with the school canteen, the headmaster in the canteen. So they identify hardcore poor children and every child is given a coupon every day when they go to school, you know, and they would have breakfast in the canteen provided by the funds she raised. And every child, no matter what it is, whether it's a bowl of noodles or a a packet of, of, of nasi lemak, or just, uh, you always have one egg there. One egg, one child. And she has come to Suraman before. You know, and we have gone to the schools before with her. You know, and recently I reconnected with her because she was raising some funds and, and she has now branched out to learning centres in Orang Asli's community. So she's setting up a library. 
In fact, God puts a burden on her to go to Kampa, where we're having our camp. I didn't even realize she had, she had been there for two or two years or more. She has an office directly opposite Grand Kampa. And she's wanting just to, to bless the church there, bless the ministry there. You know, it's amazing. But when she first started, she says, I don't know how to do it. I think I cannot do it. I'm just a businesswoman, but she just felt this within her heart of hearts that God wanted her to do it. And you know what? There was fear, yes. There was anxiety, yes. There was uncertainty, yes. There were doubts, yes. But there was faith. There was faith. You see, is work produced by faith? If we are able to do anything for God, if God places a burden in our hearts to do something, and you'll be amazed, sometimes to do something is not necessarily like her, one egg, one child's ministry or learning center, library in Orang Asli Kampo, not necessarily that big. Sometimes you can just reaching out to your neighbor with the gospel or maybe you know, caring for the poor, maybe doing something with your life and resources. Do not be afraid. Because fear will always hold us back. Fear will always hold us back. And I can, and we all know, you know, for ourselves, that fear certainly does hold us back. It's only faith that launches us out. And that's why it is work produced by faith. Remember the story of that Jesus told about the ten talents. There was a, uh, the, the talents, five talents, the, the, about the talents, you know, where a businessman or manager went far to a far country. He called and, you know, his servants and he gave one five talents, one two talents, another one talent. And he says, while I'm away, invest, work at it, work hard, and make sure you make money. So the one with the five talents, immediately, the Bible says, immediately, without wasting any time, went and invested and did something with the five talents, you know, and gained another five talents. The one with the two talents did the same thing, but the one with the one talent did not do anything about it. In fact, he put it in hiding, dug a hole in the ground, hid it there, and did nothing about it. Why did he not do anything about it? Many reasons. Bible didn't tell us why. But I can almost speculate because, you know, this one servant, as the Bible says, was afraid. You read Matthew chapter 25, where the passage is at, you will realize the Bible says when he finally came to counting time, when the, when the master came back, the one with the five talents says, see, the five talents you gave me, I earned another five talents, I doubled your investment, here's your ten talents. The one with two talents get another two talents, and here is your one. The one with the one talent says, he said, who have received the one talent came. He says, Master, he said, I know that you are a what? Hard man. You're a difficult man. He had some twisted ideas or concept about his master. Because later on, as you read down further the line, you know, the master called him not only lazy, but he called him wicked. Lazy, we can understand because he didn't put it to work. Why wicked? Could it be? Could it be? He had some twisted idea 
about his master. You see, why did God, why did the, the master give one person five talents, one two talents, and why did the master give him only one talent? Do you think that the master loved or had a, had a, 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 a was more uh, disposed favorably towards that one person and gave him five talents? Like him more than the one who gave two talents or the one that gave him one talent? Yes or no? You don't think so, right? And I don't think so too. And the reason why we don't think so is because the Bible says each man was given, you know, five, two, and one according to their ability. So it wasn't favoritism, but the ability to work and to invest, to do something. And so if you are faithful a little, God gives us more. You know, if you are faithful, and so there was the ability of five-talent person, that two-talent person, that one-talent person, and we must know what kind of a person we are because if you don't know, it can be very frustrating. If I'm a two-talent person and I want to be like the five-talent person, I'll be very frustrated with myself. Are you following me? Because I'm just a two-talent person at this point in my life. Maybe another point in life, maybe three or four or five. But right now, I'm two, and we need to know where we are in life. You know, and this one talent person, the, God, the, the, the master called him lazy and wicked. Maybe some twisted idea about his, his master. And the Bible says, he said that I did not do anything because I was afraid. You know, and the master said, if you knew I was a hard man, if that's what you think of me, if that's your idea and concept of me, then you should at least put my money, that one talent, into a fixed deposit and earn some interest. But you did not. You did not. And there's a great truth here. You know, sideline, there's a great truth here. We can never effectively serve, whether in church, in a department, or, in, or be, be effective in our companies if we don't like our boss. We just hate him. You cannot be effectively served there. That's the truth about it. Whether it's in church, you know, is there a discussion there? Who don't you like? <laughs> Tell me, Henry. <laughs> it's so true, isn't it? You know, uh, you don't like it, but sometimes you hate just hate. And you, there are all kinds of wrong concepts. See, it is by faith. Do not serve from a standpoint of fear. Fear of failure, fear that we won't make it, fear that if we fail, what will people say of us? Fear of this, fear of that, fear, you know, we're just fearful. But when we serve God, serving out of faith, we know our limitations. We know that sometimes the work God calls us to is bigger than ourselves, bigger than life. But we need to trust God. We need to trust God. Not from a platform of fear, but from faith. Remember Joshua? When he was asked, Joshua in the Bible, when he was asked to, to conquer the promised land, the first thing before he took over leadership, his leader, his mentor, Moses, died. Now that Moses is dead, and he had to start anew, 
fresh, green behind the ears probably. And he's to lead the people into the promised land. One of the first, beside Ai, city that they conquered was Jericho, a fortified city. No way, you know, this feeble slave of the Israelites, untrained in warfare, could take the city of Jericho. But when God began to open the chapter 6 of Joshua, He started by telling Joshua this in verse 2, Joshua chapter 6, verse 2. See, I have delivered, one version, another version, I have given Jericho into your hand. Now, at this point, Joshua has not even marched around the walls of Jericho, not even one time, let alone 13 times. He has not even attempted any strategy. He, he has not even heard from God what to do just yet. But as far as God is concerned, it is a done deal. See, I've given Jericho into your hand. And all Joshua will do is to fight from the point of victory, of faith. Because as far as God is concerned, it is a done deal. But yet Joshua has to do the marching. Yet Joshua has to, to mobilize the Israelites to, 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 to do what God wants them to do, to march around one day, one time, six days. No, by the end of six days, uh, six times. And on the seventh day, march around it another six times, making a total of 13 times. Sorry, six days plus seven. On the seventh day, seven times, 13 times. And then having marched around on the seventh day, 13, uh, a total of 13 times, they will give a great shout and the walls of Jericho will come tumbling down. Amazingly, archaeology tells us, if you read, uh, uh, you, start, you, you go and read uh, and Google archaeology in terms of the walls of Jericho, uh, it has been stated that the walls, when it came tumbling down, it actually fell inwards. Amazing, isn't it? Can you imagine if they are marching around the walls and come down and fell outwards? It's amazing. Bible is the word of God, okay? And they fought from a point of victory. Yes, Joshua still got a lot to do. But he functioned from a platform of faith, not fear. This morning, I, since Rajan Devarasan was here, who will speak next Sunday, and Stephen Chu was also here, I, I mentioned how in those earlier days, uh, we used to play uh, squash. We used to run the lake gardens. And, and, and I don't know who was my running kakina. I can't remember already. Uh, both of us were not good runners. Uh, uh, we were better walkers than runners. You know, I walk very fast, but I cannot run for whatever the reason. And uh, so when we run, when we jog around the lake gardens, you know, we, as we are jogging, two of us will be jogging and we are about the same size and same pace, you know, and so we find our comfort zone. And all of a sudden, you know, we don't hear footsteps, but we feel a rush of wind. And we know someone has passed us. And we look up, it's Rajan and Stephen Chu. And we are still doing our first round, they are on the second round. By the time we finish our third round, they have repasses, sorry, our first round, they have repasses three times. That's how fast they were. And so I teased Rajan today, cannot. Uh. <laughs> and then we used to play squash. Thompson, Michael, uh, Stephen, 
uh, Terrence Ong, a few others. And every time I play with some players, I, for some players, I have to play doubly hard. I have to really go for it. I have to apply myself. I have to give my best shot so that I will not lose so miserably. Don't talk about winning. So I will not lose so miserably. But yet there are some players I play with, even though they are generally better squash players than I am, more than half the time, I win when I play them, even though they are better players. You know why? I have studied their game. They are so predictable. You put a ball here like that, they always hit there like that. So predictable. So with these players, I play differently. With the first group of players, I apply myself. I really, you know, it's like everything all out so I won't lose miserably. Miserably. For the second group of people where I play, I actually fight from the point of victory because I already know. See, it's a very different way you play, all right? And that's why, you know, professional games people, they actually watch their opponent fight, their opponent play. They take a lot of study, you know, they just watch, just watch, just watch. So that when they play, they play from point of victory. And players, very tennis of Edmonton, if they've got a variety of strokes, you know, a game plan, they're harder to beat. Always that way. But playing from a point of victory. And Joshua fought from a point of victory. He says, I have given you Jericho. And so, friends, it is work produced by faith. I wonder what has God been saying to some of you some of you, I know, I know that God has been speaking to you about a number of things that you can do. You know, some of you have the ability to earn money. And for those of you who have the ability to earn and make money, not everybody has the ability to make money. I remember many, many years ago, there was one brother who always wants to do business because even though he doesn't have a knack, he doesn't know a single idea, he has no clue about making money. He has every idea about losing money. And every time he wants to venture into a business, a business venture, his wife will get so worried and begin to talk to us, talk to other people. And then he you know his conclusion is, my wife is not supportive. My wife is not supportive. So we have to tell him, you know, respect is always earned. Your track record isn't too good. <laughs> That's why your wife is worried, you know. No knack for business, right? But friends, we must always in things, in terms, in, in things related to God. There's some of you, God has spoken to your life. You have the ability to make money, okay? You're in business. I encourage you to give your 10% to God. Keep 10% or 20% for yourself. Pay yourself. Every month, pay yourself your EPF, Pay yourself a salary, put it in the bank. Pay yourself, you know, and you'll be grateful to me when I die. <laughs> you'll be amazed how much it will grow. And then give 10%, give it to the kingdom of God. I'm not saying give to agape. You're more than welcome to give, but if kingdom of God means give it to charitable organization, 
you know, give to orphanages, sponsor children, do this, do that, invest your money. God blesses that we might be a blessing. Some of you, God has put something in your heart and you know that that's what God is wanting you to do, but you've been putting it off, putting it off because you're afraid to do it because you've never done it before. There's always a first time. Always. Always a first time. Monica is one crazy lady. She asked me all she tell me, you've never done it before, right? Yeah, I said, let's do it. <laughs> it's always that way, friends. Always the first time. So work produced by faith. Okay, number two. It is labor prompted by love. I asked the first group of congregation, the, 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 the congregation this morning in our first service, is there a difference between work and labor? They seem so blur. But I know you are not so blur. Don't tell them I told you this, okay? Is there a difference between work and labor? Yes, sir? No. How many think yes? How many think no? How many don't know? Okay, work and labor seems like two English words that seem similar. You know, he's a laborer or he's a worker. He works and he labors. What's the difference? Work is work. Isn't that deep? Some of you are taking notes, work is work. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I was told by somebody recently that I dinner with that she takes down notes on the phone. And I was so proud of her that she would take time to take down notes while I'm preaching. And then she told me the real reason so that I would not fall asleep. But at least she took down notes. <laughs> so what is work? I think labor is more than just work. Labor is when you begin to feel the pressure. You begin, the load begins to weigh down on you. Uh, uh, you probably attempted to give up. The going is getting tougher and it's taking, requiring more of you. That's labor. And labor is always painful. That's why when a woman is about to give birth, she goes through what we call labor. And recently I was listening to Leah Salonga. She's one of my favorite singers beside uh, 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 Barbara Streisand, lady singer, and a few others. And, and, and Barbara uh, and, and Leah Solonga, Filipino singer. I'm a Filipino, Philippines, uh, Filipinos here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, God bless you. We're on our first service. They are good singers, you know. Filipinos, the Malays are natural singers. You know, natural singers. And uh, Leah Solonga played the role of Kim in Miss Saigon. Well, that was how many years, decades ago. Uh, that kind of propeller to the international stage. And then, you know, when Les Miserables uh, uh, was featured, uh, she played the, the role of Eponine or some, I can't remember exactly which role she played, but she sang the song on my own. On my own. How many love Les Miserables? 
Oh, there are a lot of people. I can watch it again and again and again and again and again and again. All right, caught it two broad, uh, two Broadways, one in West End, one in Broadway. Uh, caught the musical, and, and Leah Solonga, when she sang on my own, that propelled her, you no, know, to international stardom. But they wanted to cast her not as an ancient Asian singer, but said because you won't be well accepted and you won't go far being Asian. She stood her ground and says, "I'm Asian. I'm Filipino. I'm proud of who I am." And this is me. And so she still retained the name Leah something Salonga to today. But she said this, the greatest joy, and you never know what is love until you have labored and given birth to a child and see the reflection of yourself in that child. She says, pain, yes, painful, yes, but so much joy. Is labor prompted by love? Now, I want to tell you why it's important that we serve God out of love. You see, because there's no pain, there's no gain. All right? So Paul commanded the Thessalonians church, the Thessalonian Christians, for their labor that's prompted by love. Because it was through great persecution and yet they stood their ground, they never gave up, they continued to work, they continued to serve, and when the serving got tough, you no, know, they continued to labor, and when the going got tough, the tough got going. So Paul commanded them for that. You see, friends, in serving God, these things are almost bound to happen to you. All right? You will be bound, you are bound to encounter heartbreaking moments. Not the good news, isn't it? But that's the truth. Every great leader, everyone who has served well in church or in an organization, they have heartbreaking moments. Now think of the writer. What is her name? Harry Potter. Something what? J.K. Rowling. If you only just look at her life, right from young, until she got married, separated, you will hear a story and you know it's a story of pain. Heartbreaking moments. But see where she is today. All right? You are bound to encounter heartbreaking moments. Anyone who has served God and what he sought or her sought would have cried buckets of tears. And that's the truth. Okay? Ministry and serving God is not for the faint-hearted. But that does not mean that you say, oh, I'm not, I don't have a lion heart, so I don't serve God. Out of faith, not fear. Fear will hold us back. Faith will propel us forward. You will get discouraged. Alright? You might become angry and ugly. I have been angry before. I've been, I've been ugly before, before you. Some of you are new Wow, this guy is so cool. You know? Don't lose his cool, but I lost it once in a church camp. How many of you remember that? You can't remember? Oh, thank God you can't remember. <laughs> I lost it. I was frustrated. You know? In that one church camp, someone came up and, and, and during testimony, testimony is meant for testimony. 
what great things God has done for you. This clown came up. No, no, sorry, not clown. This, this guy came up. No, no, for, forgive me, you know. He's just sitting around here now. So he came up and he told what he don't like about me. He actually told what he didn't like about me. And I was at my very low point in my life, in ministry. This was more than maybe 15, 20 years ago. I don't know how long ago. I was at my lowest point. I, 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 I was so beaten up. And then to hear that, you know, and the next thing you know is that a reaction, not against him, but no, and I didn't react uh, immediately towards him, but nothing of that sort, but it just, 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 just broken inside. And then, uh, where, and it so happened, our guest speaker that day, he had to leave one day earlier, you know, so he couldn't take the night service, and so I was taking the night service, and when I began to share, you know, there's so much hurt and pain that was projected from me. And some were so shocked. Never knew that. You know, you can be angry and you be ugly. And I thank God it's only once in 31 years. So don't you trouble me because the next one may be worse. <laughs> you know, angry and ugly, even not careful. Angry and ugly. And the next one is this. Oh, no more next one. You might be tempted to give it up or to, to give up altogether. Throw in your towel, raise your hand and surrender. Enough is enough. And you bail out. You know, too many people have short-circuited their success because they have bailed out too early. If only they have stayed on, stood their ground, and allowed God to see them through the painful experience, you know, something good would have come out of it. You know, I think of Jesus. John chapter 13 tells us, and we read John's gospel, Time and time again, John Gospel says, knowing that his time has not come. His time has not come. You know, when Jesus' mother came to him and says, the wine has run out. Has run out. You know, no more wine. And, and Jesus says to her mother, what is that to do with me? My time has not yet come. Time and time again, you read in John's Gospel, that Jesus will say, my time has not yet come. But all of a sudden, in John chapter 13, the Bible says, knowing that his time has come, to go to the cross. He began to show for one last time and demonstrated how far-reaching his love was. And he did it by washing the disciples' feet. That act in itself is not easy. If you don't believe me, take a basin of water and towel in hand, go and wash somebody's feet. Very humbling. Not humiliating, humbling experience. And when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he was washing a group of people, his 12 disciples, whom he had poured out his life over a period of three and a half years. Poured out his life into them. But these were the same people because the Bible says knowing all things is God himself. He sees it ahead. He knew who is going to betray him, who is going to deny him, who is going to doubt him, and he knows that the entire group, you know, will abandon him. But these were the people he washed their feet. It was a labor of love. Knowing this time has come, John chapter 13, verse 1, he began to demonstrate how far-reaching his love was. 
and he chose by doing it, he chose uh, by, by, do, by washing the disciples' feet. You and I probably would chop uh, their feet, but he washed the disciples' feet. What caused him to do that? You see, it was a love that could not be extinguished by evil. Alfred Plummer says, to do good, to return good for good received is human. To receive evil for good received is devilish. But to return good for evil is divine. And that's why it's called a love, a, a, a labor. When the going gets tough, painful, you know, you pour out, you give, and you give, and you give, and people say things about you. People don't misunderstand you. People criticize you. You know, it's prompted by love. The word prompt simply means what? If you are stuck, and there are times I'm stuck up here, I can't get a word. Rajan will always prompt me. Huh? You know, prompt means to, 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 to redirect you, to help you, to keep on going on because you are stuck. And there are times we are stuck, you know, the work becomes a labor, you know, and then because of the criticism or whatever the hard time is going, it's no longer than we have a labor, it's painful to continue serving, to continue giving out, to continue being misunderstood. That's where, you know, our labor is prompted by love. One statement here, may we go backwards. It says that, do not let pride get to your, heart, to your head. Like I said before, the human species is the only species when you tap you on the back, it swells up in the head. <laughs> do not let pride go to your head and do not let criticism and bitterness get to your heart. True? Labor of love, prompted by love. We can get angry, we can get ugly, but do not let criticism and bitterness get to your heart. I'm not so clever. I didn't come up with this. I only added a word bitterness there. This was written and this was shared by Craig Groeschel, pastor of TV, TV.com or something like that, a, t, a, a church in, in America, amazing pastor, and tells us this, do not let. So the third one is this. It is endurance inspired by hope. I know you're watching the clock, it's 12, 12. How can I endure this guy? <laughs> 12, 15 service supposed to be over. So it's to be continued August 4th. <laughs> you like me for the wrong reasons. One time I was preaching, I think two different services, I, I shared a message and I began to talk about the eating place. And after the Sunday morning, I got so many texts. Pastor, thank you so much for your message, you know. Where is the eating place, ah? Huh? <laughs> they, they forgot what I preached. They only remember the eating place. They wanted to know the eating places. You remember me for the wrong reasons. I'm going to close with this. And tell you a story. The Greek Olympics... They were a unique kind of Olympics. Olympics. After the Olympics actually originated from Greece. Uh, in the olden days, in a, in, a, in, a, in a run, in a race, the winner was not the one who finished first. 
They ran with torches in their hand. Flames. Olympic flames, I remember now. And the runner, the, the winner is not the one who finishes the race first, but it is basically the one who finishes the race with his torch still burning. Still here and on fire for God. So no wonder Paul says in 1 Corinthians, let nothing move you. Always, you know, stand your ground. He says, be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of God. Timothy tells us this, fan the flame, fan the flame. Still here and on fire for God. Some of us need to fan the flame because the flame is but a smoldering wick. But Jesus says, I will not snuff out a smoldering wick. I will not break you know, a bruised reed. God is going to do all He can to restore us, to energize us, to inspire us, to cause us to be the person God has called us to be. Stand with me to your feet. And let's sing this chorus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to close this service by first apologizing to refer the person as clown. Didn't mean to do that. But also to say to you that all of us in our faith and our walk is a journey. Uh, I've done foolish things before in my life. Someone says, experience a great teacher. Someone else said that no, no money can buy experience, only time. And we all grow through life and circumstances and through the passage of time. And just to say to you that I'm so proud of this brother that I serve alongside because not too long after the incident, he realized he kind of messed up. What he said was true, but how he said it, when he said it, wasn't the best. He wrote me a letter, wrote my children a letter, wrote my children and I a letter, apologizing. That's what we do, right? And I trust that this would be a learning curve for all of us because we are never perfect. Don't take to heart things that people say in the sense of especially criticism. If it's true, if the head's fit, wear it. If it's not true, lift your head up high and continue to walk, continue to serve, continue to be the person God has called you to do. But we all grow. And that's what we want to be, a church that is Christ-like, through thick and thin. That our works you know, will be produced because of our faith and our labor will continue to be strong because of the love. Because love covers a multitude of sin. So where you are as we close, would you just reach out to God and just begin to say, God, you have spoken so much to my life this morning. And then personalize that message. Do something about it. Just speak to God right now. Say, God, I want to be a better person. Oh, 
don't give up, stand your ground. Father, we thank you this morning for speaking to our hearts and into our lives. As we go from here, Lord, we go with assurance in our heart that you are a good God, a very, very good God. That's what we sung about this beginning of this service. And God, that you will continue, Lord, to take us as a church, that everything we do as a church, the works that we do, the projects that we take on, the dreams that we embark upon to turn into a reality, as long as we know it's from you, Lord, we will work from a standpoint of faith, not fear. And God, as we labor, we are going to labor, Lord, and serve you out of love. Love for you, love for your kingdom purposes, love for one another. And God, help us. Help us to love each other. For by this shall all men know that we are your disciples if we love one another. Not just you, but each other. So bless us as we go. We give you all the praise, the glory and honor. We pray for our Tamil service, Lord, our Tamil fellowship. Bless our dear pastor and his wife who are here. Dear God, anoint them. Give them open hearts, open doors, open heavens, dear God. Oh God, let your blessings come down upon their hearts and upon their lives, dear God. And Lord, oh God, bless us throughout this entire week. 